Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. Like David said, a beautiful day. Probably got plans for your afternoon. Get to uh, come to the early service. I'm excited. Um, just loving the weather and what's going on here. Um, how's everyone today? All right, then. Fantastic is the word of the day. Good. Awesome. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife and I, ran into a couple recently, and and the woman, uh, married couple, the woman is pregnant. And we we're having a conversation with them, and uh, it began to remind me and take me back in my memory to uh, times where, or the time when my wife was first pregnant for our first child, Aaron. And uh, I just began to think about that, and and you know the the. The main emphasis of that time was we've got to be ready for her to come. So, you know, there's, there's parties or uh, what is it called? Showers, showers. And, uh, you know, then you have to have the room ready. So you have to have the, the crib and the, and the car seat and the carrier. And, you know, you've got to have the changing table and all the clothes have to be in order. By the way, none of our kids we ever wanted surprises to be surprised by. So we, uh, we knew the gender every time. And by the way, the doctors got it right every single time, which was cool. So, um, but we're just not people who like big, big surprises, you know. So, uh, but, so I remember when, as Aaron was coming, you know, we were, I was 23 years old, Aaron, Kelly was 21, and um, uh, we were just getting so ready and, and so exciting and, and so excited and anticipating the coming of our first child. And, and uh, I, I remember as that day came, we were just so excited. Aaron ended up being a week late. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not the kind of person that likes waiting, you know? And so being late, it just added more angst to the whole thing. But finally she came, and we were blessed. And then our second son, um, I won't go into the whole story, but our second son, I got pulled over by a cop because I was driving 100 miles an hour trying to get my wife to, uh, to the hospital because she was, like, in the back seat moaning and screaming and kicking things and, and uh, pinching me and... Uh, swearing at me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I mean, there's, there's something about the anticipation, the expectancy, and our response. Like when it's an exciting uh, event in life, we, we want to be ready. We want to be ready. And maybe you can relate more to a wedding, preparations for a wedding, or some big event in your life. The, the anticipation, the expectation, and all the activities associated with being ready. Well, we're in a series now um, this is the third week, and the series is called Heaven, Hell, and the End. And so today, we talked in previous weeks about heaven and hell. Today, I want to talk to you about the end and what that looks like. And no, I'm not going to create all, bunch of, uh, all kinds of controversy, but I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact of Jesus' second coming. There's a fact there, that Jesus is coming again. And, and like a baby, like in the anticipation of waiting for a baby, you know, sometimes it seems like forever. And, and I know the church has been waiting for 2,000 years. That might be, that might seem like a long time. And, and, and when something doesn't come, uh, at times we can lose interest. We, we begin to lose interest and excitement and passion for something. But, but my hope today is to stir that up again. My hope today is to stir in your heart the reality, not only the reality, but the expectancy and the excitement of Christ's second coming. Uh, as we, we sang in one of the songs, I think it was the last song, uh, 
uh, some words that I had, I, I remembered, I wanted to remember, and now I forgot. So I'm just going to grab the song sheet here. This is not, oh yeah. Uh, how's it go? <laughs> the, the chorus that we kept singing. Yeah, from holy, holy, holy. Keep going. No, about his name. Filled with wonder, right there. Here's the deal. You know, I, I began thinking about those words. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your Those are so powerful words. I mean, we begin to think about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We, we begin to think about him and how many of us are filled with wonder. You know, we can sing the songs. I want to be filled with wonder at the greatness of God in my life. I want to be filled with wonder as I think about him and his goodness over me. I want to be filled with wonder. And so, so today, my hopes, is that, uh, my hopes are that as we begin to talk about Jesus and, and his promised return, that we are filled with wonder again at what he's promised to do. So I want to share with you uh, from the scriptures. I've got quite a few to share, and I'm going to go over them quickly as a starting point just to establish or lay a foundation um, about his second coming because the Bible does talk often about it. And not only is it, is it referred to often in the scriptures, it's also referred to not as a dreadful thing most times. It's referred to as something that is as looked at with excitement, with passion, with expectancy, um, with desire. And I feel like sometimes many Christians, we, we've lost our way. We're no longer excited about these things. I've heard people say, I, you know, really, honestly, I don't want Jesus to come back yet. I'm having too much fun right now, you know. Uh, I want Jesus to return. I, I think it's going to be an amazing time. It's going to blow your mind how good God is to you. It's going to blow your mind. So um, here's a fact. Jesus is coming again. I want to share with you some scriptures. The first one, John 14, 3. We actually started this, this series off with this, this passage. It says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Do you see that? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Revelation twenty two twenty says this, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the writer John says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Come on, this, this stirs you up. Uh, Matthew 24, 44, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You must be ready. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, verse, uh, starting in verse 16. It says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. You see that? He's going to come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, just a powerful promise of Jesus' return. Titus 2, verses uh, 11 through 13 say this. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God appears that has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You see that? The grace, the grace of God is not, yes, I could do anything. Yes, I can sin. God will forgive me. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I read this passage, I was reminded uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife had the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Brazil. And one of, the, one of the observations that just astounded us, that surprised us an awful lot, when we were in Brazil waiting to go from, uh, I think we were just waiting for the team to assemble at that point, um, was, was this. This is what we observed. There was a, there was a, there was a, a, a guy waiting, and, and this woman came out of the gate. And you could just, you could see the expectancy, the excitement in her, in her eyes. And her, uh, his, his wife got off that plane and came out of that gate. And they ran to each other. They embraced. She wrapped her legs around them. They're kissing and hugging. Just all kind of passion going on. We saw it numerous times. So while we're sitting there, we're in the airport for like two or three hours. This was like the spectacle that we were able to observe. This, this expectancy like he's coming. She's coming. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see her. And it was, it was, there was so much passion, so much energy, so much life uh, expressed. And we don't have that kind of culture, you know. Ours was like, hey, good to see you again, you know. <laughs> Let's go get your bags, you know. I mean, I, I envied that. I'm like, come on, this is amazing. I want you to run and tackle me when I haven't seen you in a week. Come on, I don't care what people see. You know, I don't care what they think. I don't care. Knock me down on the ground. Kiss me. Hug. That's amazing. And that reminded me of the expectancy that I was seeing in these scriptures, you see. It reminded me that, uh, that somehow, some way, we, we may have lost our way as it relates to Jesus and the fact of his coming. And so I want to take you to a scripture, a passage, actually, in, in Mark chapter 25. No, not Mark, Matthew chapter 25, because Mark doesn't have chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and uh, there's, a, there's a, uh, a story in there, a parable called the Ten Virgins. Very familiar. Uh, a lot of people have read it. Um, and, and so I hope to share from you. This is Jesus. This whole chapter is, is Jesus responding to some questions that his disciples had asked. His disciples were asking, tell us, what, what is the sign of the end? What is, what is it going to look like when you return? When, when will this happen? And they were asking these questions. Jesus is like, no one's going to know. I don't even know when, I'm, you know when it's going to happen, but I'll tell you this. And he began to identify some of the various uh, signs that would, be, that would be evident during that time of his return or precede his return, and, and so he spent all of chapter 24 talking about that, and then in chapter 25, he goes into some parables. Um, he finished chapter 24, actually, with a parable, and then he goes into some parables related to the direct answer to their question. What is this going to look like? What will be the sign of your return? How can we know? When is this going to happen? And so Jesus just uh, starts talking about this parable. And um, in just a moment, we'll put up, put up the scriptures. But really, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like ten virgins. And, and these ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come. 
And, and these ten, ten virgins were prepared, they were ready, they were expectant, they were excited for this bridegroom to come. And it, it just so happened um, that they had lamps and, and the bridegroom was a long time in coming. In fact, they all fell asleep. They were waiting so long. They were waiting so long for this bridegroom to come. And uh, they fell asleep and then there was the call, he's coming. And they woke up and they began to trim their lamps and get ready And five of them, the Bible introduces five of them as being foolish and five of them as being wise. And the foolish ones didn't bring any oil. The wise ones brought oil. And and so the Bible tells us that as they're trimming the lamps, the the foolish ones ask the wise ones, can you give us some oil? And the wise ones said, we can't give you any oil. Go buy some for yourself. And so they they, uh, leave as the bridegroom is coming to go buy some oil. And so we pick up the story here in verse 10, and it says this, but while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The, the virgins who were ready, uh, the virgins who were ready went into him and went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. It speaks of finality. It sounds very harsh. The door was shut Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said. They're probably knocking on the door, hollering, hey, can you hear us in there? Open the door for us. But he said, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, I, honestly, I never fully under this, uh, understood the story until I spent... Uh, quite a bit of time doing some research and preparing for today um, to understand the context of the bridegroom coming and the the virgins or the bridesmaids, if you will. Uh, It's important to understand what first century Jewish weddings look like. You, you, You notice right now, right, like right off the bat, the focus or the emphasis is on the bridegroom, not the bride. In our culture, the bride is getting the oohs and ahs, and the groom is standing next to, the, next to the, uh, the pastor sweating it out. You know, people don't even pay attention to that poor guy, you know? Everyone's like, oh, she's coming, and they stand, and they, you know, all the emphasis, all the focus is on the beauty of the bride. And in that culture, the emphasis and focus was more on the bridegroom. It's just a different culture, a different, different time, different way uh, that they focus things. So, so there's this emphasis on the groom. He was the center of attention. And in that day, the, the wedding ceremony and the preparation for the wedding ceremony was, was uh, it comprised of three different parts. There was, there was a formal engagement, which usually was sort of directed by or arranged by the parents. There's this formal engagement. That's part one. Part two is there's a formal religious ceremony. It usually took place in the home of the bride. Um, Very similar to like uh, our our wedding ceremony. However, it took place about a year or so after the initial engagement. Could be more. What happens in that time of engagement is the, the, the groom goes to make ready a place for the bride. 
So he goes to make, make this place ready, right? And the bride is, her, her whole emphasis is getting ready herself. So she, you know, some, some wives come around her and help prepare her and get her ready. And, and she's beautifying herself and, and making sure she's ready to be a wife. And, and she's going to smell good and all that stuff. Um, and so there's this, this time of preparation in, in the Jewish culture in that time for for these kind of wedding ceremonies. So um, there's the formal uh, religious ceremony. And then sometime after that, there was a wedding banquet. Could have been a week later. Could have been, it's sometime after the formal ceremony that takes place at the groom's house or the house that the couple will ultimately live in. And this is where we find ourselves in this story that uh, they're getting ready for this big banquet. And, and it's really cool because uh, a crowd gathers, right, and, and what happens is the groom and close friends make their way to the, to the, to the bride's house to get the bride. And they're going to put her on some animal like a donkey or something and bring her through the streets. And, and they take all these detours and uh, they make the trip a long trip from her house to his because it's a part of the celebration where people can observe and, and, and applaud and celebrate. This lady's get, this woman's getting married to this man, and, and it's a part of the celebration. So there's almost like this, this parade, if you will, in the streets before they get to the, to the groom's house, the house that has been prepared for this couple. And um, just a big celebratory time. And so uh, uh, he's escorting his wife-to-be back or his wife back to the home, it's exuberant, it's celebratory, um, and they, they, they take this long journey, they make the journey long, if you will, they're, you know, zigzagging through the streets to celebrate what's going on, and um, so at the groom's house, uh, uh, the crowd assembles, but they're outside of the house, outside of the gate, and usually these feasts happen in, uh, at nighttime. And so uh, there are people assigned to hold lamps to create this sort of this ushering in of this couple and this wedding party. And these are the virgins. These are the bridesmaids. They're, they're there to hold lamps. The party is beginning. They have a very specific purpose. And so, so this groom is ushering his bride, even though he's the center of attention. You know, we read here in this passage that the, the bridegroom is coming. He's coming. But what about the bride? Well... He, she wasn't the point of emphasis, just like in our culture, the guy is not, who cares about the guy, you know? I mean, that's sort of almost like what it is. It's like, so, so she wasn't the point of emphasis. And so the road, the road before him would be lit with these lamps and, and people are celebrating. And what happened is this guy took a long time to get back. Uh, many scholars believe that, uh, uh, that what happened while the groom was at the bride's house was not only was she getting ready for that evening, but there was negotiating going on, like this is I, the groom, have to give, this is what I, the groom, have to give to you, the parents of your daughter, to take her to be my wife. There's negotiating. And so this, all this, this is what scholars believe. So there's all this stuff going on. And so the Bible says that uh, the return was a long time in coming to the point where these, these virgins or bridesmaids were falling asleep. They all fell asleep. And finally, the announcement come, comes, here they come. Here comes the bridegroom. Here he comes. And so they wake up and try to get ready um, by, by making sure their lamps 
are, are working. So these virgins, just so you know, to be very clear, these virgins or bridesmaids represent the church awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. They represent the church. Like he is coming and, and he's coming for his bride. And we are here waiting and we are here ready. These virgins represent people like you and me. And as you look deeper into the story, there's, there's many similarities that stand out that are amazing. I mean, there were, there were 10 virgins. They were all invited to the banquet. They had all responded. They all came. They were probably all very excited. They probably were all, you know, they, they primped and propered and, you know, got themselves ready for this, this ceremony because it's an exciting time. It's a celebration. And so they're all there. They're all waiting. They all had lamps with them. Um, all of them fell asleep. All of them were awakened by the midnight cry. All of them got up to prepare their lamps. But there's one distinct thing in all of this, one crucial thing in all of this that, that creates a difference between what was referred to as wise and foolish. And that is this. I mean, y- y- if you were to look at the 10 of them, you would have no idea. They probably all looked beautiful. They were all excited. They were all celebratory. Everything looked great. Uh, by casual appearance, it would seem that they were all ready. Uh, the casual observer would say they are ready to celebrate. They are ready to party. And some of these feasts would go seven days long. I mean, this was a big deal in that society and culture, a big deal. So, so uh, outwardly, there's no way that you could tell that uh, five were wise and five were foolish. But the Bible tells us that the wise, uh, the wise brought extra oil. That, that may seem insignificant. But again, this is a parable. The wise ones, the five wise ones uh, brought extra oil because they assumed that there would be a chance that this bridegroom would be a long time in coming. They assumed that, uh, you know, I'm just going to cover my bases. I want to make sure that I'm ready. Um, And and so they, they brought extra oil. Now, here's the question of the day. What does the oil represent? What does the oil represent? Well, if you look at Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the oil represents uh, or stands for the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, oil stands for the presence of the Holy Spirit. It, it, would, it, it could lead us to believe that this would be um, representative of an inward pr- uh, uh, preparation for the heart. Uh, their hearts were ready for the Lord's return, whereas the five did not seem ready. And, and I mean, even as I look at this, I, I, would, I have questions like, wow, that seems so, I mean, they're there, they're excited, they're ready, they spent time preparing, they're, you know, this is, it, it seems so ins- insignificant, but it's a lot bigger deal, obviously, to God. So the oil represents this indwelling power, this indwelling power of the Spirit that accompanies True conversion. So, so here's, here's the takeaway. The first takeaway is this. As I, as I read the passage, that could mean, that could mean that in a gathering like this, there's a lot of people that are excited about church. There's a lot of people that are going to worship. There's a lot of people that will sing songs and give and love up, love up on one another. But could, could it be, could it be that half of them are missing Missing that oil, 
and would be referred to as foolish in this parable. Could it be? And so my first observation is, you know, I, I mean, everything else was identical. Uh, they're there. They're probably seeing their friends again. They're like, it's been a long time. Man, re, you know, reminiscing as they're waiting. There's, there's all kinds of good, good stuff going on in the midst of this, this uh, preparation for the feast. And yet five of them were referred to as foolish. And they could represent... They could represent uh, religious people who come under the conviction of the Spirit but are never truly converted. Boy, we need the oil in our day, don't we? There's something about this. There's something about this. Because because if the oil was the only thing that kept them from going in or... uh, uh, that kept them from going in or for the wise ones, allowed them to go in. This is a big deal. So here's Jesus talking about his second coming. Okay, this is, this is all framed within the context of Jesus answering a question that his disciples have asked. And, and he's talking about his second coming. And, and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like virgins who were prepared to go Uh, to a celebration, a banquet, a feast, but five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. That's what the second coming is looking like. So so here, I've got four takeaways that I want to share with you today. I feel like they're very important. I feel like that that they will bring a lot of clarity, not only to this parable, but uh, to, as it relates to Jesus's second coming. Here's the first one. Do not be confused by the delay. Do not be confused by the delay of Jesus' second coming. He said he'll come like a thief. It could be at any moment. We don't know the day or the hour. Do not be confused by that second coming. The bridegroom is coming. We can easily think and pass off the idea, well, it's been 2,000 years. I doubt it's going to happen in my lifetime. I would tell you, be careful. There are many warnings in the Bible that we need to be aware and ready. Just like parents ready for for their child to come. There's there's some preparations that we need to do uh, as it relates to our lives and our lifestyle so that we are ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is not an alarmist message. I am not trying to strike unhealthy fear in people. I am telling you, though, the Bible clearly tells us Jesus is coming. And so there, on our part, Jesus tells us, be ready, watch, be watchful. There's all kinds of different words that he uses to describe it. But we should not be confused by, by the delay thinking that he's not coming or that it's, you know, it's historically the church has been waiting. Uh, Peter writes this. Peter, Peter wrote this. There, there's going to be mockers and scoffers out there saying, well, you know, when is the promise? You guys have been saying forever Jesus is coming and he hasn't come. Is he really coming? Peter writes that way. And, and the Bible responds by saying, listen, the Lord is patient. The Lord is patient with us, wanting all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so what is the delay? Well, that could be tied to it. There there are some other things that are tied to his return, but the reality is we should not be confused by it because he is coming. This is good news. The church celebrates this. Here's the second point, and this is a very important point. Your faith cannot be borrowed. 
The virgins wanted to borrow some oil from the five foolish virgins tried to borrow oil from the five wise ones. You cannot borrow your faith. You cannot, someone else's Holy Spirit uh, faith, you know, their, their Christianity cannot help you uh, get to heaven. I mean, it can be an encouragement. They could stand with you. They can pray with you. But listen, your faith has to be your faith. You can't say, well, my dad was an elder, you know, I, I went to Bible school. It, that doesn't work. My, my grandma was a praying grandma. It comes ultimately down to you. Their oil cannot help you. Does this make sense? You can't borrow somebody else's faith. That's what we see in this parable. Uh, for 2,000, 2000 years, um, 2,000 years, God has had this open door. So, and this brings me to this third point that I see in this parable. The open door policy comes to an end. There is a point in time, these, these virgins were shut out because they went to buy oil. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. They were shut out. Uh, for 2,000 years, there's been this open door policy to heaven. Uh, come one, come all, you're all welcome. The sign over the door, enter in, you know, you're welcome, you're wanted here. Uh, but someday, someday, that open door policy comes to an end. And, and I know many people, I've talked to, listen, I've, I've talked to so many people um, about this. And some people, sometimes the response is this, someday I'll come to Jesus. Well, that, let me tell you something, that someday should be today. And here's why. There's going to be a day where you think you have time, and you're going to find out you don't have time. You don't, you don't have time. Uh, it, this is very important. This is crucial. This is, like, this, is, this is of utmost importance for you in your life. You're going to find out that you don't have time. And the thing that closes the door could be one of two things, death for you or Jesus' return. Uh, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. And so... Something happening to you could close the door for you forever. And Jesus' return would do the same. And, and so don't, don't think someday I'll come to Jesus. Because right now, the, the open door policy is alive and well. Whoever will come, will come. Whosoever. Right? I mean, what, a, what an amazing opportunity. What an amazing opportunity to have full access to heaven, and we're being invited in, we're being ushered in, we're being welcomed in, and God's saying, whoever, whosoever may come, may come. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can come to Jesus, the open door policy. But ultimately, this, this parable tells me there's going to be a day that that door is not open. It says, and the door was shut. That scares me. Not because I have unhealthy fear, but I have, I have fear for some of you to think, you know, uh, I'm doing this thing, it's all good. And if you've really never given your life to Jesus, if you've never really had him change you, if you've never surrendered and made him Lord of your life, being in church, you, could, you can go to hell with a, with a communion wafer on your tongue. You could be sipping back the communion cup. It does not matter. You need, you need to have the oil of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and that is what makes a way for you to go to heaven. But that's not fully, to me, that's not the full readiness. Because really, chapter 25 is, is all about parables that relate to readiness. So, so the open door policy comes to an end. Your, your faith can't be borrowed. And don't be confused by the delay. And here's the last one. Don't give in to the danger of being deceived. This is what I mean by that. 
I, I mean, if you, if you just think about it, this is a parable. Please understand, it's a parable. But if you think about it from a, realist, from a realistic perspective, he's, here's these girls. They're there. They're ready. They're excited, right? They don't, they don't represent the atheists of our culture, if you understand what I'm saying. They don't represent the person who wants nothing to do with God in our culture. These, these people are there, these, these women. And, and yet, as the door is shut, I mean, what a sad scene that these five foolish virgins, they're knocking on the door. But, sir, we just had to step away for a moment. You know, they're pleading at the door. Sir, let us in. Sir, please. Right? I mean, they're wanting to go in. Their desire is to be in. And his response, something I hope none, no one hears, in, uh, no one hears that is in this room right now. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Their desire was to be in. How they, got, how they got in, obviously, they missed something there. See, there is a danger for all of us of being deceived if we're not careful. Outwardly, they're all the same. You, you could not pick those five out if you tried. I'm convinced of this. Outwardly, they're all the same. Inwardly, there was a difference. The, the inward part was the thing that distinguished the, the wise from the foolish. Um, the foolish ones weren't ready. That's the bottom line. They did not know him. They did not know him. They were strangers to him. They didn't have a relationship with him. They didn't walk with him. They weren't led by his spirit. They, they did not know him. And here's the deal. They have been deceived by the worst kind of lie, that it's all good. They've been deceived by the worst kind of lie, that they did not know the bridegroom, and yet they thought, they thought it was all good for them. See, we, are, we can be in danger of being deceived if we're not careful. Our culture tells us uh, we're good people. Our culture tells us just about everyone goes to heaven. Our, cult- our culture tells us that, um, you know, in many ways, the philosophy is that being good equates to ending up in heaven. That's not what the Bible is telling us. So they were deceived. So, so this, this, uh, this passage sort of opened my eyes to a new level of understanding um, as I studied it. And here's, here's, here's my takeaway. Not every person who thinks they're ready are actually ready. Not every person who thinks they're ready is ready. So, so my message to you today is be ready, be clean, be holy, be pure, be in this book. Don't take this Christian lifestyle for granted. Don't, don't play with the, you know, the borderline. The Bible says that there's some that will be saved just as by fire, like barely, by the skin of their teeth. It's not worth playing that game. But I think there's more, even more to being ready. As I look at the other parables, there's more. There's, there's, this, uh, there's this, this, this one, one guy in the back end of chapter 24 that Jesus is saying, listen, you should be a wise servant. You should be, find, do, be found doing what your master told you to do when he comes. In the parable, there's the guy that thought, oh, my master's a long way off. I'll do what I want. I'll I'll do the things that I want to do. And he's saying a wise servant would be doing what his master tells him to do when he returns. 
There's another one, the parable in my Bible, it says the parable of the bags of gold. And this master began to give out bags of gold and he was gonna be off away for a long time. He's like the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven is like, is like a man going on a journey and he's giving away these bags of gold. And as he came back, the wise servants used that money to make more. They were using their talents, their wisdom, the gifts that God had given them. And there was one who buried that money. And he's like, you are foolish. How could you do this? He sat on his talents. He hid them. He didn't use them, right? It wasn't a good scene. The last parable, the sheep and the goats. And this speaks to me about caring for people. He's like, you know, I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. Uh, uh, I was hungry. You fed me. I was naked. You clothed me. And so to me, The readiness is, am I doing what God has called me to do or am I doing my own thing? So this message is about the second coming of Jesus. And with clarity, he's saying, be ready, be watchful, uh, be doing what we're supposed to be doing. You know, be washed, be prayerful. You better not be out in that club shaking it on Saturday night, getting all drunk up and then coming to church on Sunday morning. Better not be, you know, half high, half drunk, you know. I mean, it's about being ready for the coming of our Savior. Not, you shouldn't be sleeping with that, that person's wife, you know. Like living a holy life, that to me is ready. So, so my question is this. There's a, there's a time, there's an hour that we don't know that Jesus is returning. We should be found ready. My question is this. Do you have the oil in your life that would make you be referred to as wise? And that would be, to me, reflects some sort of conversion, salvation, born-again experience. But I believe the readiness that Jesus is talking about throughout the scriptures are that we are living holy. That not only do we have the oil, but the flame, the torch, the lamp is burning. Like, are we passionate about Jesus anymore? Uh, You know, are, are we living for him? Are we ready? Are we doing kingdom work or are we doing me work? Are we, are, we, are, we, are we doing the kind of things that he sent us to do? It's, an, it's a very important question. So when we talk about the end, there is a fact that's, that's spoken about hundreds of times in the Bible that Jesus one day will come. Are you ready? Are you anticipating? Are you excited? Because uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be a glorious time. We're going to be caught up with him, whether, whether we're dead. The dead in Christ, the Bible says, rise first. And those who are alive shall meet the Lord in the air. It will be visible. The Bible says in Revelation 1, 7, that every eye will see him. Matthew 24 says that like lightning that flashes from one side of the sky to the other. So every person will see this coming. It's going to be unmistakable. And the Bible says that many will mourn. Why will they mourn? Because like these virgins, the door was shut. And so we are here not to just get in. I'm telling you right now, as a church, we are here to thrive. We are here to impact and make a difference in our community. We're here to to snatch people from the flames of hell like it's said in Jude. We are here to make a profound difference. Let us not be found to be in the category of the foolish virgins thinking it's all good, I've got a lot of time, 
I can play the game. I could do what I want. There's this thing called grace. It's all good. Listen, we are here to bring glory to God by our lives. Living holy, being ready, getting more transformed, becoming more and more like Jesus day by day. There is so much opportunity for you to experience that, to thrive in this environment. I'm telling you, God is opening many doors. He's doing awesome things. And I want to see in your life you thrive and have the joy of the Lord on your life because you are doing the things that he's called you to do. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I guess I don't know if I'm like one of those foolish virgins. Again, I'm not trying to, I, I know what manipulation is and that is not my goal. But if you aren't sure, you should be sure. Right? And if you're taking a lax, uh, a lax approach to your life as it relates to Christianity, I would challenge you, make a new surrender today. These altars, I'm telling you, let this altar, let this altar be your friend. I, I, there were weeks and even months in my life that I was here every single week on my face. I, I'm not afraid to go to the altar because I know that it is a point of transformation. If you look at the Old Testament uh, altar, it was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where that sacrifice was consumed by God. Let God consume you. Let God do a great work in your life. Maybe, there's, maybe you're tired about, maybe you just don't feel like you're just not passionate the way you used to. Do something about it. Don't stay the same. Man, God's got so much for you. Let's go after him together, amen? But if there's something you need, maybe you, today you feel like I'm, I'd probably fall into the category of the, the, the foolish virgin. Change that. It's okay. Change that today. Amen? Or maybe you feel like, you know, I need something more from God. We're here for you. I want to pray for you. And after, the, after um, my prayer, there's going to be people up here that would love to minister to you in any way, shape, or form. Maybe you need healing. Um, there was... There was uh, a person that said that uh, there's going to be a, a moving of the prophetic today at the altar. Um, and so there'll be people up here. My wife will be up here. Um, there'll be people from our, our uh, grow group up here that have been being trained to prophesy and are really good at it. And so I would encourage you, get what you need today. Amen. God is on the move. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, today, Lord, I thank you, God, for your imminent promised return. I thank you that it is a real event. It's a coming event. And you said, behold, I am coming soon. So we stand on that. We look forward to that with excitement, with joy, with hope, knowing that we will be caught up with you, Father God. And so today, God, today I pray for each person in here, God. I pray for clarity in their heart, passion in their purpose, a desire, Father God, to serve you and love you, and even a willingness to surrender, God. Lay down the things that have held them back. I just feel like there's some people in here. I believe the Lord's going to be speaking to you about your time consumption with TV. I feel like there's, there's a lot of dead time, wasted time that could be used for, for uh, the kingdom purposes. Maybe there's time you devoted so much to one thing. And God's saying, I, I, want, I want to redeem that. I want that for me. Because out of your words comes, I'm so busy, I don't have time. And Lord, I just pray that you begin to speak. And before you leave, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? 
What are you saying to me? And Father, I just give you praise. I say, have your way. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, and we declare that you are good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.